Welcome, welcome, welcome. Arbok, Arbok, Arbok. Welcome to the first episode of My First Trillion. I think I'll get around to making the second trillion sometime, but I wanted to be humble and just start with the first. So to give an introduction, I recently started my business, Olive Love, which has been doing pretty well. And I thought that it would be interesting and important to let the success completely go to my head and create a podcast called My First Trillion. But to be serious, I think that too many people enter an industry and then they adopt the sort of norms and mental models of that industry. And they're not focused on the real drivers of profit or more importantly, on the real drivers of success in that business. And they don't really try to customize the industry to themselves. They're not really focused on the resources that they have, their passions, their abilities, and equally importantly, they're not thinking especially strongly about the customer. And customer is the one who has all the money, the money that you want them to spend on your business so that your business can be good. And too many industries, especially industries that are extremely competitive, industries that are sort of feel good, where you're doing something that benefits society, like solar energy, nonprofits, or just sort of a hot industry like cannabis, AI, those are, everyone has their own AI startup now. And people try and go into those industries and learn from other people what to do and how to run their business. But the fact is that every market has a sort of stable equilibrium in how the suppliers and how the buyers behave. And that that equilibrium, one, may not be optimal for your business, but two, may be shifting and you want to be ahead of that curve if it's shifting towards greater profitability, towards growth, towards whatever metric you think is important for building an enduring business in that sector. And if it's shifting away, then that's simply just not an industry you want to be in. But getting back to what I said originally, it is good to learn from others. It is good to learn from your competitors. But what's not good and what's not going to lead to enduring success, what's not going to lead to wealth creation, is mimicking what another business does and copying them verbatim. That's the only business doing that thing. You can't have another one of those businesses. That's not going to be a compelling value proposition, generally speaking. And so in any industry, I think that what often gets overlooked is that an industry is not just a market in and of itself. But I think it can really be thought of as a market comprising several smaller markets. And that by hyper-differentiating and hyper-customizing your business such that you're serving the archetypal customer that you want to be serving, the customer that's profitable, the customer that you know, the customer that knows you, and the customer that loves what you offer, that's what's going to build an enduring successful business. And that's what this episode is about. So you're welcome. So the classic model of differentiation is that differentiation gives you pricing power. Your product is different and 
better in some meaningful way, and therefore you can charge more for it. But, but I think that this model, while very solid, is not strong in its implications and recommendations for how a business should differentiate. It's sort of saying like, oh, well, how, how do you have a successful business? Oh, well, you, you make a lot of money. Oh, well, how do you make a lot of money? Oh, you have a differentiated product. There's not really advice. There's not really a suggestion within that mental schema on how that differentiation occurs. And that's not to say it's not a bad model. I think it's extremely helpful, but I think that the more models you have to view the same concept, the better you're going to understand that concept as long as those models are valid. And you're going to see exceptionally high returns when the models you're using to think about your business are different than the ones your competitors are using. And you're right. You have to be right. You can't just be a contrarian. The market is very, very good at creating effective businesses. So it's not that you should not learn from your competitors, but you should be thinking, how can I apply what they're doing to my resources and my business? And you have to create a sort of synthesis and a sort of thesis of what your business is. And it has to harmonize across all the customer touch points, across every facet of every way that your business is run. And a model that I can believe, excuse me, that I believe helps with that synthesis is viewing your business as the creation of a new market, viewing differentiation as the creation of your own unique market and owning this unique market as a source of pricing power. So let me just give a pretty easy and actually really recent example. I needed to get a roof replaced and I needed to install solar panels. So I just go on Yelp and I'm like, blah, 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 solar panels. And as it turns out, there's only a single company in my area that will both replace a roof and install solar panels on it. And that's actually really important because by combining both, you can use the solar panel federal tax credit to get money off the roof replacement. And you get double savings because the labor used to replace the roof is also the labor used to install the solar panels. And so you might be thinking, okay, how many people need to get a roof replaced and also need to get their solar panels? I mean, roofs only need to be replaced every, I actually looked it up, it's every 25 to 50 years. And the answer is actually a lot because a lot of these homes that were built in the 80s, the 90s, when solar panels, I'm not even sure they were a thing, and if they were, they were extremely, extremely expensive, just weren't as popular. So you have a steady supply of houses that need both roof replacements and solar panels. A lot of those people that need their roofs replaced or they passed away and their children need the roof replaced and maybe they want to sell the house and these solar panels are a great way to increase the property value. This company, North Star Solar, is the only one offering it. And it's so easy. I, I look at Yelp, I'm scrolling through the results, and there's only one company that does both roofing and solar panels. And it's listed as one of the main things on their landing page. So you know that they think that that's something that converts, that that's one of their differentiators, that that's one of their competitive edges. And it doesn't cost them any money. They might even just be working with a roofing company, but by being hyper-specialized and focusing 
on a very specific market, they can essentially set the price in that market because whatever they set it at, people are going to be willing to pay because they're not going to be worried that their roofing guy didn't replace their roof with a roof at the exact proper angles to maximize the amount of sun each solar panel receives. And they're not going to be worried that that roofing person doesn't know how to fill out the paperwork or isn't going to fill it out correctly so that they can get the federal tax credits for having their roof replaced and solar installed at the same time. And this is a completely different strategy than what essentially every other solar panel installer is using. They enter the industry and they saw, oh, well, everyone else is running SEO. Everyone else has these advertisements on every social network. That's what I should do because clearly it must be working for them. But if you look at the industry at a whole, it's sort of a race to the bottom because when all of these companies are doing the same thing, the only thing they can compete on is price. And when you're competing on price, you don't have a sustainable business in general, unless you have some sort of economy of scale or something like that. And many of these undifferentiated solar companies are getting so desperate to stand out. They start just lying to, to people. You'll see a lot of ads for solar panels, or at least I have, that say that these companies will install your solar panels for free. And it heavily implies that you can get solar panels at no charge. And that does not exist. The way they kind of get around it is saying, oh, well, if you it's install solar panels, you're going to save a lot on your electricity. So technically it's free, but really they're just scamming people trying to get them to click on that thing. Because once you get someone traveling down that sales funnel, that's a customer that is much, much, much more likely to convert. So I scheduled a quote from Northstar Solar. They're going to come out. I'm going to squint my eyes and nod very slowly when they tell me what the quote is. But I know that I'm going with them. I don't want to have to call someone else and have that guy work with the solar panel people. And then I have to play middleman on like some random email thread or something. I want all my concerns to be taken care of by one person who I trust, who has great reviews on Yelp, with which North Star Solar does, and who I can just say, take care of it. Get me my money from the government for doing this. Thanks a lot. And so that's from the consumer side. I'm going to jack myself off a little bit and do the business side case study using my own company, Olive Love. So just for a quick overview, Olive Love sells infused olive oils and balsamics, as well as some fantastic pastas. And currently we're a B2B operation. So basically restaurants are tough business. We go to the owners and we say, look, you have these really loyal, customers that love your restaurant, but you're trying to monetize them by serving them food. And the restaurant industry has really tight margins, two to 5%. So it's just a really tough business to be in. So our value is really simple. We go in, we say, look, customers love you and we can create a private line of olive oils and balsamics. And all you have to do is serve it with the bread and list it on your menu. So customers can take it home with them. Each bottle is going to have your name on it. And that bottle is going to be a constant reminder of the great meal they enjoyed. It'll remind them to come back. If they have friends over, those friends will see that bottle. And that potentially expands the restaurant's customer base. And so this has been going pretty great. If you can go to someone and say, hey, here's an easy way to make more money. And by the way, we'll only make money if you do because we're making money on every bottle they sell. That's an offer that's sort of hard to resist. We'd like to get our conversion rates up, but 
for the clients we do have, everything's been going really well. And so we were like, well, if this is working so well for restaurants, maybe this will work for cooking classes. And what we should have done is we should have talked to the people running those cooking classes first. Because what we found is that they weren't actually that interested in having their name on the bottle. They didn't really want their own private line. They just loved running their cooking class and they didn't want to confuse people and make them think, oh, does this guy own his own olive oil business? And our first reaction was like, well, you can just tell them that that's not how it is. But you always have to remember that if the customer's saying they don't like something and you have to go through a thing explaining why what they think is wrong, that's probably not the thing you should be doing because you're going to have to have that conversation with every single new potential customer. And if you can't have that conversation, and you probably don't want to have to have that conversation because it's going to involve convincing them to reject their initial feeling of, no, I don't want to have my name on this bottle. I don't, I'm worried about confusing my customers or that just initial sense of no thanks. That's not good. We were trying to apply what worked for restaurants to cooking classes. We made the mistake of saying, oh, well, we're in the olive oil industry. Olive oil is olive oil, balsamic is balsamic. Let's just try the sort of same approach that worked for restaurants. That's been going great. Let's do the exact same thing for cooking classes. But what we should have realized is that cooking classes are an entirely distinct market. The only thing that a restaurant and a cooking class has in common is that food is made in both of them. The persona of the cooking instructor and the persona of the restaurant owner, the restaurant manager, has entirely different and unique needs. They have different perceptions of themselves, they have different perceptions of their own business, and they must be viewed as their own distinct market. Olive Love and just any business can't view itself as being in the X business. Olive Love can't say, oh, we're in the olive oil business and derive meaningful insight from that statement. A solar panel installer can't say, oh, I'm in the solar industry and derive meaningful value on how to differentiate their value proposition. But if one says, I create X for Y so they can do Z or so that Z occurs, that provides avenues for differentiation. Olive Love sells infused olive oils to cooking instructors so they can increase profit per attendee. That is a hyper-specific value offering. It's a hyper-specific market even. There's not a lot of people, and there's actually none that I know of, who are going to non-celebrity chefs and saying, I think we can work together, and here's a customized, hyper-personalized value offering for the exact business that you are in. And so, instead of having it be their own private label, what we told cook instructors is, okay, we'll have our label on it. And then under that, we'll say your name's choice. So Olive Love, Vanessa's choice, Olive Love, Giuseppe's choice. And then they can choose from our selection, which of our infused olive oils and balsamics pair the absolute best with the dishes they'll be making in their cooking class. And this actually improves profitability for us because it's a method of customer acquisition, or at least we hope it will be. Because before we were making private labels for the restaurant, our logo and our website didn't appear on those bottles. But now our website does appear, and we hope that 
people who attend these cooking classes can actually turn into customers of our online store and that this can be an incredible way to acquire customers. So to summarize, the classic model or the classic way of thinking about differentiation is that you exist in a competitive market and that by having some sort of substantially better product or service, you can smash your competitors, build your business and create enduring wealth. And just to be clear, this is a very useful way of thinking about a business. Differentiation is obviously critical and obviously all businesses exist within a larger market. And that market is one that you're going to want to be paying attention to. But it's also helpful to think of your business as its own market and your business as carving out a targeted niche of this larger market, targeting out your perfect customer, the archetype that you want to build your business on top of, the archetype that you understand, the type of person that loves your business, and the type of person that will buy from you again and again and again. That's the kind of person who, for obvious reasons, you want as a patron of your business. That's the kind of person with big, big, big customer lifetime value. And even this model itself should be contested, should be rethought, should exist in your mind competing with other models and other ways of thinking about your business. You should constantly be thinking of your business in as many valid ways as possible. Your business is a way of turning input money into more output money. It goes through many intermediate steps between that, but that's also a great way to think about, okay, what am I putting into this business that's actually driving the bottom line? Is X such new investment going to have a justifiable Y return? And I think that having correct but unorthodox mental models is itself a way to create short-term differentiation in your business. Eventually, if you're right, people will adopt what you're doing and your mental model or your way of doing things will become the new mainstream. In the long run, without an enduring moat, which it is incredibly difficult and perhaps impossible to plan for and create, your business will eventually bend to some sort of long-run equilibrium. If there's money to be made, people are going to find out about it. And they and if it's easy enough for them to copy, they're going to do it. But in the short term, the thing that they're trying hasn't failed yet. And people don't like to admit that they're wrong. People don't like to change what they're doing because it would mean admitting that they're wrong, which is actually incredibly valuable, but that's a topic for a separate podcast. In short, seeing your business as creating a hyper-specific market for a hyper-specific consumer it's incredibly valuable and building your business from the first principles of building a relationship that is valuable with that consumer, with that ideal archetype is a way to differentiate and succeed. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.